So there has been yet another shooting in America. This time it was in Oregon, but there have been so many more. There have been 294 mass shootings so far in 2015, and we're only three-fourths through the year. That's more than one per day in America. And of course, that doesn't count all the regular murders that happen every day in the States. It's awful, it's tragic, it's terrifying, and it feels hopeless, and it just keeps happening without any constructive reaction from our society. It's all just so depressing, you know? But there are things we can do, and I'm going to provide some of the things that I think we should be doing. And it's not the typical anti-gun stuff you usually hear. Welcome to the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm chair of the Couple and Family Therapy Program at Antioch University, Seattle, and I'm also a practicing psychotherapist. This episode is just for patrons of the podcast, so if you're listening to this and you're not a patron of the podcast, this episode will end early. If you want to hear the full episode, you have to become a patron of the podcast by going to patreon.com. That's patreon.com. Go there, become a patron of the podcast, and you will get access to this episode by going to the tab labeled Creator Posts. All right, patrons, let's get into this. The reason why I'm talking about this is because patron Rose wrote in and said, I thought you might find this interesting and wonder what you think of it. She basically sent me a link to the 4chan thread thing. I read that the shooter in Oregon posted this thread on the internet. It also has some mentions to, to beta males in it, which I think is interesting. Love the podcast, by the way. I listen to it every day on my bike when I go to school. I find that quite quaint and cute that you, Rose, ride your bike to school. And while you're doing it, you're listening to a podcast. Hopefully, you can hear people honk and stuff so you don't get run over. I'd hate to think that my podcast would result in some sort of tragic accident. But uh, but anyway, thank you, Rose, for writing in. And because you're a patron, that is why I am having this episode. I wouldn't be talking about this normally because I find it terribly depressing. So thanks for depressing me, patron Rose. Just joking. So what Rose is referring to is the night before the mass murder in Oregon, the murderer was chatting on 4chan with anonymous users. They were all talking about this so-called beta uprising. And I was just doing air quotes in the real world, but you couldn't see that. So I just thought I'd point out that I was doing beta uprising. Anyway, apparently there's a thing on the internet where men feel jilted by women and they call themselves betas, as in the opposite of alpha males. Remember I did a couple episodes on alpha males. And so this is very pertinent to that. And I'm telling you that I am getting so tired of this alpha, beta crap. Men, if you're out there listening and you feel sad because you don't have a girlfriend, please do not turn to the bullshit on the internet for help. Talk to an actual person, hopefully someone who's well-balanced, but even someone who's not particularly well-balanced will not talk the way that the internet talks. Talk with an actual woman about it. Ask her what women want. Women want the same thing that you want. They want closeness and security. There's no real trick to it. You don't have to read bullshit on the internet to trick women into liking you. You're probably a good person, a worthy person, who deserves the love that you can get if you just stop listening to what is on the internet. You don't have to give up. 
just relax, be nice, and try to socialize. And if nothing seems to be working, maybe talk with a therapist who specializes in this sort of thing. There's no shame in talking to a therapist. I go to therapy all the time. There's no shame in that. I've talked with many clients who are struggling with this sort of thing, and we talk about it and find find success. It's not hard. So do not turn to the Internet. I sort of feel like the way that the this sort of thing works now is in before the internet, when you had a guy who was struggling socially or romantically, he would just sit in his house and have no contact with anybody. Right. But now the more isolated someone is, the more likely they're going to turn to the internet for help. And the internet ends up becoming a place that has a disproportionate amount of people who are struggling socially. And whenever you get sort of an echo chamber you're going to have certain movements within that echo chamber that are not reflective or very responsible to the outside society. You know, you get a bunch of white supremacists in a room together or a bunch of Republicans or a bunch of Democrats, for that matter, in a room together. And without any outside influence, you're going to find by the end of the day, there's going to be some weird shit coming out of that room. And so that, that room is the Internet, and there's a lot of weird shit like this beta uprising crap. So apparently the shooter was a four, was on 4chan the night before, and if you read this chat log thing, it seems the other users were encouraging him to kill, and they used the phrase beta uprising. They were giving him advice about how to do a mass murder. Apparently the beta uprising thing is sort of a joke among men online, uh, and these men feel as though they can't get a girlfriend. So if you just read this 4chan chat thing, the, the, at first glance, it's like, what are these people talking about? And then if you really read it, you're like, holy crap, there are people giving advice to the murderer the night before about how to murder a bunch of people, and then the guy actually followed that advice. Whether or not he was going to do that or not is, you know, we will never know, but, but it's eerie. And so it looks as though there's all these guys on the Internet that are just waiting to advise or actually commit mass murders. But according to people that are actually on 4chan, it's sort of a role play that people will play. You know, like in gangster rap songs, there's lots of horrible talk. And when you actually talk to these to these artists, they'll say, well, I'm sort of putting on a character. I'm not. It's not really me. And I'm not suggesting that you should treat people like the way I suggest in these songs I'm, I'm just playing a character and it's similar in this in these 4chan rooms you know that they end up playing a character of a mass shooter when they're not actually a mass shooter and if you're not on 4chan you'll you're, you're probably thinking what the h but if you're on 4chan you'll say yeah that's kind of how things are anyway but the shooter might have taken this role-playing crap seriously it's hard to know We'll probably never really know why the guy decided to kill all those people. All right, so why do these mass shootings happen? Instead of looking at why each individual decides to do this, I think it's more helpful to think about it as an epidemic or some kind of like a flu virus that's going around. We'll, we'll never really know exactly why someone gets the flu, an individual. But we might know why flu seems to be rising in a particular season. You know, maybe it's the strain of the virus or maybe people, maybe it's, it's colder that year. So people are forced inside into smaller quarters more. And, you know, there's things we can look at in our culture that we might be able to change to reduce it rather than trying to prevent an individual from doing it. Because it's really hard to prevent which individual would do it since it's actually sort of a rare thing. Um, even though it happens, you know, every day, 
it's uh, when you think about all the millions of people, it's actually a rare thing. For instance, if you actually profiled people and said, okay, well, this profile fits the profile of a shooter, and then you actually went out to everyone that fit that profile, it, it would be hard to know which one among that profile would actually commit that since it's such a rare thing. I hope you get what I'm saying. Anyway, so what are the, 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 the global factors or the greater population factors that we can look at? Well, our culture glorifies violence and it glorifies guns and it glorifies fame and it glorifies getting in the news. Our culture really loves fame and really loves guns. And unless you've lived in other cultures, you might not even understand what I'm saying. You might say, well, like, what do you mean we glorify guns? We don't, we don't do that. We just, we just, we're normal. Well, when you go around the world and actually live in other cultures and experience the way they think about guns and the way they think about violence, you will see that Americans feel and think about it and talk about it and glorify it in a particular way. This isn't to say that other cultures do not glorify violence and don't glorify guns, but Americans are particular about this. And so we could point to this as a possible reason. Now, what often people think about this is they think, well, so are you suggesting we should get rid of guns? And I'll get more into that later. Or some people say, well, are you suggesting we like not have you know, awesome movies that have violence in it and stuff. And I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, look, we just need to look at our culture of violence. You know, it's just one of those things we should be looking at. Now, maybe we can't change it. Maybe it's not. Um, maybe we like our culture of violence too much to give that up. I don't know. Another factor is our society does not react, does not react quick enough when people are struggling with their mental health, with their mental health mostly because we believe in individual freedom and we mostly ignore mental health. So when it comes to someone who's struggling and they might be identified by people around them, we, we really believe in the freedoms of individuals. You know, you have to, you're, you're innocent until proven guilty and you can't lock someone up based on a hunch and this kind of stuff. And because of that, it's hard to do anything with the criminal justice system to prevent this sort of thing from happening. And also, we mostly ignore mental health in our society, and so that's another reason. Also, another factor, our contemporary society produces people who are highly isolated and feel very alone. And I think this results in very odd behavior in some individuals. If these people had more people in their lives, I'm guessing they wouldn't commit such terrible acts. Another factor is our society glorifies the shooters by plastering, usually him, by plastering their name and their life and their story and the reasons why they did it everywhere all over the world. For instance, many of you might have seen the news coverage regarding the law enforcement officer who, who was speaking to the press and said that he wouldn't disclose the shooter's name because he didn't want to give him the credit that he was probably searching for by committing this act. And then all the other news outlets came out and said, well, we're going to plaster his name everywhere. And so I'll get into more of that later. All right. So what can we do? What can we do? And, and actually just sort of backing up, I, I, I've, I've had episodes, at least one in which I completely talked about one of the, one of the, uh, one of the perpetrators of a previous mass shooting and I went into full detail on his life. 
And after my recent realization about, about this sort of thing, and I realized it back then too, but I didn't really realize it as much as I do now. I, I thought about taking that episode down, which wouldn't be that hard for me. But I also think that I get a lot of really interesting responses to that episode because I talk for something like two and a half hours or something about about that shooter. And I don't think I glorify him, the shooter. And I also talk a lot about all the various other things we could be doing. And so, and if I just labeled it, you know, if I took out all the stuff about the shooter and just said, here's what we could do, I wonder if anyone would be exposed to that other stuff I'm talking about. Plus, I try to go into more of the sort of details about the shooter's life that aren't really glorifying him. But anyway, I'm sort of on the fence. Let me know what you think, if I should take it down or not. I probably will eventually because I, I, I'm fairly convinced that we should not even be mentioning these people's names, their lives, or anything about them. But anyway. All right. So what can we do? Here's the things we can do. Number one, we can stop, as I said, publicizing anything about the shooter. No name, no details about the reasons, just minimal information, if anything at all, but not their name and particularly not their you know, their manifestos. Because when someone writes a manifesto, they are hoping that people will read it. They want a, a, you know, a soapbox upon which they can stand. And since they're a normal human being before the murders, before the mass shooting, no one is going to read their stupid manifesto because no one's interested. But after their mass shooting, everyone's interested in it. And so, one of the reasons why some of these people might commit these mass murders is because they know a bunch of people will have to listen to their manifesto and will pour over it and analyze it. Well, we need to stop doing that because it motivates future incidents of mass shootings. Number two, I prefer to not publish anything about it, but if we're going to publicize something about it, we should talk about the victims And we should talk about the people who exhibited heroism in the moment. Like how many of you have heard the name Chris Mintz? Well, he was a guy, a fellow, who charged the shooter and got shot something like six or seven times and survived. And because of his heroism, we should be talking about him. I mean, who is this guy? You know, let's talk about him. In fact, I'm going to do so right now. Chris Mintz. He's a military veteran, 30 years old, former high school football player from North Carolina. He was trying to hold the door and block the gunman, and he got shot six times. And it should be noted that this is Chris Mintz, the hero during the Oregon shooting. He's not the actor who in Superbad was uh, McLovin, (laughs) apparently. His name is Chris Mintz, too, which is just a funny little side note there for you. All right. So, number one, we need to stop publicizing anything about the shooter. And number two, if we're going to talk about them, talk about the incident, we should talk about the victims and the heroes. Number three, we need to start helping the mentally ill in a more systemic and holistic manner. In a nutshell, we need more tax dollars spent on mental illness, and we need more prevention, and we need more human contact with people who are isolating. There are many many people who have proposed many, many awesome things that were never funded, that if you funded them would likely address 
not only the suffering of, of you know, millions of people, but might actually catch some of these mass shooters and prevent, prevent them from being motivated to do so. So as a side note, I won't even touch the gun thing since that never gets me anywhere, and I actually think it's a smaller issue than it typically gets credit for. As a Seattleite, as a you know progressive liberal, I'll tell you that uh, you know I, I absolutely could care less if anyone had any guns in the world aside from law enforcement. I you know sure take away everyone's guns, but I don't own any guns, so whatever. But I also know a lot of people that have guns and have, you know, I respect these people and they, they ha- you know, they tend to get pretty up in arms, so to speak, about their arms being taken away. So I'm not even going to touch that because, again, it, even, if, even if the anti-gun people are quote-unquote right, there's it's seemingly no traction and it really ends up getting us into an argument that goes nowhere when we really should be talking about these other things. Also, as another sidebar, you know, increasing security is fine. You know, putting a security guard in every school is fine. It seems rather expensive, but it doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like it's going to work. I mean, to me, it's like if you're a mass shooter, you'll find a way. I mean, it wouldn't be hard to walk up to a security guard and kill him and then kill everyone else or to go somewhere where there isn't a security guard or, you know, it just it seems a little strange to become a police state or something. Plus, you know, I don't even think it would work. Okay, so number one, stop publishing anything about the shooter. Number two, if you're going to publicize anything, talk about the victims, talk about the heroes. Number three, we need to start, you know, we need to start helping the mentally ill in a more systemic way. And number four, we need to reduce stigma regarding various things in our culture. The stigma about going to therapy, the stigma about mental illness, about asking for help, about having trouble socially, about having trouble romantically, about not being popular, uh, about being atypical. You know, it seems to me that many of the shooters were struggling with stigma and lashed out against, against society as a way of striking back against stigma. All right, number five, we also need to help parents raise their children more effectively. I'm guessing a good percentage of the mass shootings are perpetrated by young men who struggled as children and if the parents had support, maybe, maybe some of those young men would not have been so disturbed and would not have been motivated to kill. But it seems likely that this would be a factor. Number six, lastly and perhaps most importantly, we need to figure out a way to reduce the social isolation of these guys. So many of them felt socially isolated. Not all of them, for sure. I mean, if you really look at all the different mass shootings, you'll see a wide variety of causes, a, lot, a wide variety of profiles. But for some of them, a good, good section of them, a good percentage of them, they felt extremely isolated. And it's my opinion, and it's just there's no way to know, that of the mass shootings, of the mass shooters that I've studied, if they had someone or a group of people in their life that they could hang out with and that they felt accepted by, my guess is is they would never have gotten to the point where they would have been motivated to do this sort of thing. Because a lot of these guys are suicidal. And I think that's one of the things that really needs to be emphasized is you could see them as mass shooters or you could see them as suicidal people that want to take people with them. And that's a much different you know, look at it rather than, oh, look at these guys, they want to get back at society. Another way of looking at it is that they're completely suicidal, and they go into this knowing they're going to die. And suicides happen all the time in the United States. 
And so if you match up suicide with a lot of anger and resentment and isolation, then you might have this motivation to go on these mass shootings. And so we need to help reduce the isolation of these guys. We need to, I don't know how you do that exactly. I've talked about this in other podcasts. It's like, maybe we could just send, I don't know, like social workers. It seems like the natural, you know, person to go to these people's houses and just sort of like check in with them. And I don't know, some sort of, you know, actual in real life activity with people, you know, social skills group. I've talked with some other clinicians that are doing social skills groups that uh, involve D&D or Minecraft. You know, maybe there's an Internet-based social skills group that uh, is really super attractive to these guys, but, uh, but also works on reducing their isolation and helping them to feel more connected. We're very extremely, totally social animals, and we need other we, we need others from our species. We need to be with our tribe. And when you isolate these people, when they isolate themselves because they're afraid or for whatever reason, then weird things start happening in their brain. I mean, think about yourself. Think about all the weird shit that's gone through your head. My guess is you were alone when you had that weird shit go through your head. <laughs> My guess is, is you were sitting there alone at night or about to go to sleep and you're alone or you're just sitting there by yourself. That that is when the weird shit starts going through people's heads. And so if we're going to prevent some of these mass shootings, I think having some way of trying to reduce the isolation. Plus, not only would we potentially prevent some of these mass shootings, but we'd also generally reduce the suicide rate and the depression rate and the suffering rate and, you know, it, there'd be all sorts of good things to that. So again, stop publicizing anything about the shooter to if we're going to publicize anything, talk about the um, the victims or the heroes or just keep it to a local story. Don't make it a national story. Number three, we need to start helping the mentally ill in a more holistic, systemic manner. We need to reduce stigma in various areas in our culture. Number five, we also need to help parents raise their children more effectively. And number six, we need to figure out a way to reduce the social isolation among some of these people. So again, it's yet another tragedy, and people often will email me and ask me to weigh in on this sort of thing. And maybe every time they ask me to do this, I'm just going to repeat this list every single time. <laughs> because if I'm going to go in depth, you know, the natural thing to go in depth in would be the shooter himself. And since that is counter to what I believe is the solution, then I'm not going to do that. So maybe every time there's a national story, I'll just come out with an episode that talks about the heroes and maybe some of the victims and then lays out this, this list. All right, let's, uh, let it, let's, let's end on a, let's end on a nice note here. Patron Natasha wrote in recently and said, Hi, Kirk, Umberto, Paulette, and other great people. I'm a proud patron of the Psychology in Seattle podcast. And then she goes on to request an episode topic of, of which I will get to another time. Patron Lyndon wrote in a few days ago saying, Speaking of a community thing, had you thought about somewhere far down the line having some kind of group chat, group conference, Skype in, ask Kirk Umberto questions live or something for an episode like that? I have absolutely no idea how that would be done technically, if it could work, or even if it's possible. I'm just throwing stuff out there. 
Yes, I have actually thought about that too, and I too have no idea how to work that out technically. I actually don't like Skype. Whenever anyone says, oh, FaceTime me or Skype me, I'm always like, nah, I'd rather just text you or talk on the phone. There's something about video chat that just sort of irks me for some reason. Not the idea of it because I'm I'm sort of an early adopter of technology, but there's just something kind of weird about staring at a face on a screen that just feels unsettling to me. But anyway, um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, For the patrons, if you wanted to, we could schedule a live chat and do something like that. I think that would be fucking fun, man. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, let me know. Also, just so you know, you know how I have those podcast parties at the end of each quarter, or I try to. I don't always do it, but I I try to do it at the end of each quarter. I'm pretty sure the next one, I'm just going to invite patrons as well. I usually invite students and friends and other podcast people who have been associated with the podcast. But I was thinking about opening it up to patrons. Now, people are telling me, so you're just going to open up, because I actually have them at my house, <laughs> at the parties at my house. And people are like, you're going to invite just randos off the internet to your house? And I say, of course I will, because patrons are awesome people. And if you're a patron of the podcast, I'm sure you're a lovely, polite, socially able person. So uh, I was thinking about doing that. But only for the patrons, not for the rando listeners. They can fuck right off, you know what I mean? (laughs) All right. Well, that does it for another episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining me, and please take care of yourself. And if you're stressed out, you know, take a vacation. Take a me day, or take a you and your partner day, or you and your family day, you know? We work too much in America. Take, a, take some time off. I, I read an article recently where they're switching to, a, in another country, of course, I think Sweden or something, they're switching to a six-hour workday. I mean, we're going in one direction. The rest of the developed world's going this other direction. What's wrong with us? You know, take a vacation, relax, chill, and stop reading the goddamn news. It's so depressing, right? All right, take care of yourself because you deserve it. <laughs>